You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello, my fellow Americans. Please let me see your ticket subs for the double-edged double bill. This week, the president must escape from Air Force One. President of what? That's not funny, Pliskin. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am President Thomas Mariani. President of what? That's undetermined. And I am Adam Thomas, and and this is just going to be a huge episode. It's going to be the biggest and best episode that you've ever seen. I have done so many good episodes for podcasts. God, I hope when we release this, that becomes irrelevant. I really, really hope. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to Double H Double Bill, which we're releasing on Election Day. Hopefully, you are listening to this as you are going to the polls and making your voice heard in the United States of America. And obviously, as you could probably tell from that, um, our political leanings aren't subtle, who we're supporting. Um, fuck Trump. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I kind of have to... Uh... Kind of have to agree with you there. I'm sorry if that alienates any listeners we might have or anything like that. I mean, you're entitled to your own political opinion, as are we. So we can say fuck him. Pretty succinctly, yeah. It, we, we, you know, we kind of were contemplating doing some kind of like politically themed episode, given we release on Tuesdays usually, and Tuesday happened to be election day. And this episode went through a bunch of different, you know, permutations of like we were going to do political movies, but we figured it might not be the best thing to do right now since everyone's so sick. Of, uh-huh. like politics in general and we even kind of contemplated like portrayals of real presidents and that didn't seem nearly as fun as what we finally came up with which was uh, fictional presidents which we kind of talked about not something people really discuss in terms of movies no not really at all in fact when uh when the topic was brought up i was kind of like that's something i've never really heard discussed before so yeah it was, it's a pretty uh pretty neat little oft thought about subgenre it obviously swims in the waters of politicism but also it tends to be a thing that happens in genre movies anyway like you'll just have a shot of the president in the middle of like whatever horrible situation is going on just like my fellow americans the uh-huh. asteroids coming um godzilla's attacked so whatever the fuck <laughs> it's just it tends to be like some random somebody who kind of vaguely looks like the president yeah it's usually just an old guy you know we uh, we must arrest magneto like who the fuck is this? <laughs> what the fuck, right? <laughs> Just and that's even like a weird thing in comics where like sometimes it depends on like DC usually has like fictional presidents, but they'll bring up occasionally like a Ronald Reagan will show up in the middle of like the Dark Knight Returns, or even in Marvel they'll usually have fictional presidents, or even like Lex Luthor became president for a bit. Yeah, I mean Nixon was in Watchmen. Right. You know, because it's really easy to make it really silly and stupid, depending on who you cast, the age of them, their whole general attitude, everything. It could be really, really dumb and really, really poorly done. It all it just all depends on what sort of weight you give the character itself. If you don't if you treat him more like a man and not a president, that's really the only place where they sort of got, um, you know, sometimes the 
subversive things of like having a female president or having even like a black president before that was a thing. Obviously, because mostly well, in these movies, it's like a stodgy old white dude. Just Morgan Freeman. I mean, well, that's basically well, yeah, in Deep that's... Impact, right? That's the only thing people remember about Deep Impact, really. It's like Morgan Freeman was the president. Mm-hmm. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about two very different sort of portrayals, um, both technically from action movies. We'll get to why that's a bit dubious, or at least one of our choices in a second. But um, at the end of our last episode, we had two choices each for uh, both a good and a bad choice, and we ended up picking a number between one and ten randomly for the choices that we ended up picking. So uh, I had two good choices, you had two bad ones, and that resulted in us getting, for the good pick, uh, John Carpenter's Escape from New York. And then for the bad pick, we had Air Force One, that was your choice. The Wolfgang Peterson joint. I think that's what he calls him. No, that's true. He's, Spike Lee stole that. Yeah, Spike Lee stole from Wolfgang Peterson. But uh, let's go ahead and get to our first feature, Escape from New York. New York, 1997. The entire city is a walled maximum security prison. I'm going in. One man must go in where no man has ever gotten out. And if he comes back alone, <laughs> his nightmare has just begun. John Carpenter's Escape from New York. The greatest escape of them all is about to blow the future apart. So Escape from New York, as directed and co-written by John Carpenter along with Nick Castle. This being a follow-up, of course, to Halloween, and Nick Castle was the guy who literally portrayed the shape in the original Halloween. Um, And it's interesting, we've covered the sequel to this movie, Escape from L.A., and I think that's the only time this has happened. Where, like, usually we'll cover either an original movie or the sequel, but I don't think we've ever done the thing where we cover both within a span of episodes. Uh, no, I don't think so. Like, unless it's a franchise thing where we cover, like, a movie and its sequel within the actual structure of, like, the the same episode, but I don't think we've ever done it this way before. No, I, if if we have, it escapes me. (laughs) Mm. Escape from Adam's mind, his drunken mind. Yep. But we're talking about Escape from New York, and uh, this is one, when we talked about Escape from LA, I kind of mentioned it, but this is honestly my favorite John Carpenter movie. I think it has all of his best traits. It's kind of part of why I chose it. And also, given the presidential element of it, I like the fact that this is one of those examples where the president is like a key factor, but more of like a MacGuffin, as opposed to just randomly popping up here, in this case being played by Donald Pleasance. Which I love that he plays the U.S. president despite being very clearly British. Oh, I mean, in every way British, yes. Extremely British. He's awesome. He's perfect. No, he is amazing in the movie. Yeah, I think it works for this particular portrayal, which it's another example of, like, most of the picks I contemplated doing for a good pick for this were honestly presidents that weren't necessarily good presidents despite being the good pick. I think, honestly, a lot of the times when you utilize a sort of fictional presidential character well, it tends to be somebody who is kind of like a commentary. And this one is very clearly, like, coming off of the Watergate scandals and stuff in the 70s. It feels like John Carpenter kind of dealing with a lot of, like, the corruption that uh, Mm. really stifled America around that era. Yeah, I definitely agree, and I love that it takes place in the future of 1997. Yep, the far-off distant future. (laughs) One of my favorite things in movies. It truly, truly is. When it's, you know, the future, 1999. And it's like fucking crazy neon and flying cars and shit. And you're like, yeah, no, way off. Actually, we're closer now in 2020 to what John Carpenter's real life thought of 1997 would be. The only thing that dates this movie is just that the Twin Towers are in it. That's really yeah, the pretty only much. thing. 
Yeah, pretty much. Um, and it was interesting because this was mainly shot in St. Louis. That was like the big thing. It was shot in like an abandoned sort of area of St. Louis because they couldn't afford to shoot in New York, except for the stuff at the Statue of Liberty, which is, I think this is the first example of a movie actually shooting on Liberty Island. Uh, I mean, I didn't realize that, that it was uh, maybe one of the first instances, but that's awesome because it totally works. It's very effective. That's the thing, even though this movie might be shot in St. Louis and stuff, it never feels like it's not New York. Mm-hmm. But also being at the post-apocalyptic prison island sort of idea lends itself to that because the geography and the landscape and the buildings are all going to change they're all going to be run down everything's going to be different so it makes sense and also that's a big credit to the matte painting and the miniature work a lot of which was done by a lowly pm in this movie james cameron yeah well you know just you know he was a young kid I, it just sucks that he didn't go far i think this is like the fifth time we've made this joke about james cameron he's, just like, he's the king of hollywood um, <laughs> no, but, uh, I mean, what is there not to like about this movie? I don't think this is my favorite Carpenter movie, but it's easily in my top five, uh, if not my top three. Um, uh, I think this is actually a pitch perfect sort of meld of sci-fi action, satirical, political, even some dark comedy thrown in there. Like it's just a tight little package. Cause it's only like an hour and a half hour and 40 minutes. And it's just, it, it, it breezes by, man. I mean, this is just such a great, fun watch. Well, yeah, I think the reason it's my favorite of Carpenter's movies is just because it combines so many of the great sort of genres that he loved to kind of play around in. And this one is such a good meld to the point where even the action element of it technically is an action movie. It's categorized as that often. It's not really action-packed. It's really not. There's some gunfire. There's the bridge scene. And then the fight scene with Kurt Russell and the, the God, I can't remember his name, but the guy who used to be a professional wrestler where he's in sort of like the ring. And that's basically it. The rest of it is just sort of not necessarily even a chase movie. Like it's kind of hard to pin it down for its genre, but you got, I guess you got to call it action just because, but eh. a big thing in Carpenter's career. And we kind of talked about this earlier this year when we did our John Carpenter episode, um, he always wanted to kind of do a Western uh, to some yeah. degree, but he always hated the idea of working with horses and in the heat of an actual Western setting. And this one is, I, I would argue, the like biggest Western sort of influenced movie. Like the only one I could even compare to is like maybe Vampires has like the closest Western aesthetic too. Yeah, I would definitely say Vampires is probably more so, to be honest. Just the idea of the lone gunslinger and they're out in the desert. Aside from like the desert aesthetics, really, like this plays out like a Western. This is way more the searchers than anything. I'm not disagreeing with you, fucker. Like, take it easy. <laughs> oh, no. oh no, this is our big political strife in the sand here. <laughs> this, this is where this we. <laughs> This is where it happened. We broke at the bridge. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, Kurt Russell, you know, Snake Plissken is absolutely 100% the sort of vigilante outlaw, Hawk, you know, Lee Van... Well, of course it's Lee Van... It's, it's Lee Van fucking Cleef, yeah. It's Lee Van fucking Cleef, but Hawk is, you know, the new sheriff who wants to recruit his old sort of comrade into the in, double-cross him, but also still wants him to work for him. Like, it's really by-the-numbers Western, in a way. You know, where he gets to this town, and there's the Duke who runs the town, and, you know, it's, you're the Duke, A number one. Like, <laughs> so fucking stupid. There's, that's what I was getting at earlier. I mean, there's so many genres and ideas and everything in this tight little package to where none of it feels overdone, none of it feels underplayed either. It, it, Carpenter 
you know, A, he's, you know, he's John fucking Carpenter. He's a master of the genre film. I mean, he truly is. At this time, he was on his A game, man. I mean, he's picking little bits from all these different genres and then throwing this synth score to it, which is an awesome fucking score, by the way, this movie. I would say this is my favorite Carpenter score, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. As an overall score, I think certain themes might be a bit, like, obviously, like, the Halloween theme or certain other ones, but I think this complete score works well. And to shout out also, this is his first collaboration with Alan Howarth, who he would do a lot of scores with after this. And I I think they really have such a great marriage here for being able to, like, have this grandiose sort of scale despite being, like, a chintzy synth score in theory. That's what this whole movie works for me so well is because it only costs about $6 million. But I feel the scale of New York and I feel, like, everything that's going on here, the stakes even. Like, it feels so much bigger than its budget. You know, but that's the thing about it, too. Because of the budget, that's what makes it even better. We saw this movie... A, with Escape from L.A., with a better better budget, and it didn't work. And then we even saw that Luc Besson lockout with a bigger budget, which was just a copy of these movies. I mean, let's be 100% honest. It was just Snake Plissken in space. Or, or even Lord knows how many rip-offs of this movie, especially from Italy, and they all had significantly lower budgets than it showed every time. <laughs> mm-hmm. But this one just works so fucking well. Uh, I mean, A, like I said, you know, he cherry-picks from all these genres and just puts the best parts in it that work as a cohesive unit. It's got the score, it's got the fucking supporting cast, but it's also got, you know, basically his fucking muse with Kurt Russell. And, I mean, Kurt Russell is just, come on, man. Is he any is he any better in anything else than in when he's with Carpenter? This is an interesting example because this is him not too far off from the Disney movies. And he said this right. many times that this is him trying to prove himself as, like, a badass leading man. And it was definitely, like, him showcasing that off. And I think it also has to do with him trying to prove himself that it kind of has this extra edge that even later, sort of his collaborations with Carpenter or some of the other, like, big action roles he had don't quite equal the Snake Plissken in this movie in particular. Sure. It's because he has a bit of a chip on his shoulder that he's trying to prove himself, which works perfectly for Snake. Not in terms of, like, he knows that he's the badass, but it's more of, like, he's going even further to say go fuck yourself. I'm not, like, following for any of your bullshit unless it really earnestly affects me in the immediate aftermath. This character works so well because he's very much a guy who is thinking to the next second as opposed to, like, larger scale. No, I definitely agree, but the fun thing about it, too, is because he's still so early in his career, it's a little over the top at some points, too. Right. But it works perfectly. The name's Pliskin. At the end, you're like, get the fuck out of here with this. It's so silly, but it's awesome. You know, I it's really hard for me to find any faults with this film, uh, it, you know, but that's something we got to discuss. And if I do, it's a fucking tattoo. It looks like somebody drew it on with a Sharpie. Like, completely. It's so stupid. And my thing is, is the rest of the snake his wiener? These are the questions we have to ask about the snake Plissken lore. And my thing is, is his wiener tattooed like a rattle? Like this, it's it's it's, it's really bizarre. Or is maybe he's playing into how it was naturally made. His his wiener has lots of folds and and uh, bulbous areas. Have you been circumcised? Yes, I have. This just looks this way. Yeah, I know. It's it's crazy. I lost <laughs> it in whatever Luxembourg or wherever the fuck. I lost in the Great War of New Jersey, 1993. <laughs> but to get to the man of the hour, Donald Pleasance, you know, is the president. And I, I and I do agree with your, your original sort of sentiment to where he he is not the forefront. He's he's basically, oh, what do you want to call it? The, the, 
Yeah, he's the MacGuffin. He's the the Machina. He's he's just sort of the thing to get it going. Donald Pleasance is so fun, and he's so just classic, over-the-top Donald Pleasance. And, like, he feels like someone who would realistically be a president in terms of, like, look and mm-hmm. demeanor. But I like how much you kind of talk about how much he crumbles when he's around, like, the Duke of New York is wonderfully played by Isaac Hayes. And um, when they have, especially, like, the shootout scene that happens where, like, he's on the walls, like, you're the Duke! All that stuff. And then even just seeing, like, the comparison sort of power, I like the idea of having, like, Isaac Hayes play that particular part because it feels like he's this guy who was in, like, you know, obviously this horrible part of this desolate place that was completely ignored by the government and so now he's become this duke and he has this sense of power over asshole white president dude it's a perfect casting and i love like their sort of antagonistic relationship even though it doesn't get like a lot of screen time when he eventually sort of has the moment where he shoots down the duke of new york and does the like you're the duke and then leading into my favorite part of that delivery is when he says hey number one like he's almost like post-coital where he's just like, he's all wound up, and then he shoots, and it's like, ugh, I'm spent. <laughs> I can't keep going. <laughs> it has this sort of weird class effect that I really like, where it's sort of like, supposed to be an awesome moment in his eyes for shooting down the Duke, but it really feels like this is him further oppressing a place that's already completely oppressed at this point by destroying their leader, no matter how corrupt that dude is. Well, and the thing is, it's like, no matter how corrupt both of them are. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be honest. At the end, you know, Sake Plissken sort of, interaction was like you know a lot of people died trying to save you i just wonder how you felt about that well i'm very honored our american people would thank them too you know blah 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 i i have to go on the air in two minutes you're like this motherfucker does not give a shit and also that look Uh, that he has when he just like hears the bandstand music from the tape and he's just like god damn it (laughs) But also, I want to talk about, you know, Adrian Barbeau. God, she's so good in this movie, and she's just never looked better in anything. Uh, but Ernest Borgnine. Yes. I fucking Ernest Borgnine in this movie as cabbie. He's so good. And, you know, I always forget that Ernest Borgnine did a lot of serious work because as he got older, he did a lot of more comedic, lighthearted stuff. Basketball or even the, he, a couple sitcoms he was in here and there and stuff like that, but Man, is he really good in it. He just has he's such a screen presence, too, uh, with his delivery and his eyebrows. And he, he feels part of this world, 100%. Right, and they wrote him specifically for that part, and it makes so much sense, because it feels like it's playing to a lot of Borgnine's energy, in terms of like how sort of like giddy he gets, and so sleazy he feels at the same time. That's why I like is how much all of these characters managed to, like, our heroes, quote-unquote, have a similar energy to Pliskin, even though they have more of, like, a stake in what's going on here and a cause. They all have, like, a griminess that feels authentic. Like you mentioned with Adrian Barbeau, I agree. I love the sequence where they're on the bridge and they, her and Stake just, like, give each other a look that says everything about before she ends up dying in her big, great death scene. Um, or Harry oh. Dean Stanton, obviously, we love and makes so much sense. It's like sort of like the scientist kind of character. Or even just a shout out to somebody who even, Kurt Russell even said, like sort of sets the tone for the movie very early on. Frank Doubleday as Romero, the dude with the weird hair that looks like he's got like the uh, Captain Howdy makeup from The Exorcist. He looks like he looks like one of the dudes from People Under the Stairs almost. Yes, a lot like that. He's dressed and everything. Yeah, absolutely. That sequence where he's facing off against Lee Van Cleef about just like, oh, you better be in the air in 30 seconds, really sets the tone for like, this movie's going to be fucking nuts. (laughs) And he's like, what do you want? 19, 18. It just keeps counting. It's so fucking dope, dude. And I mean, 
that's one thing about the side characters in this, like like you said, our quote unquote other sort of hero characters like Brain and Maggie and Cabby and all that. You, if, they, if they're all just half a switch away from double crossing, they're all such sort of scuzzbags. They have a sort of a survival instinct that feels natural to people who are in the middle of like this prison camp area that basically New York has become. It makes a lot of sense. Even down to somebody like Season Hoobly, um, who plays the girl who's in the chock full of nuts, which I love the detail of that stupid store. She does so much in like her two minutes of screen time to really establish that like she wants to get out and she's kind of trying to romance Pliskin into doing it. And that leads into probably the most horrific sequence of the movie where like people are climbing from the bottom of that fucking place. It's like that. It feels like a zombie movie. Oh yeah, absolutely. Where they're coming out of the fucking sewer grates, that guy's running around tapping to let them know it's time to come out. I didn't realize that her and Kurt Russell were married mm-hmm. at one point. She explains that because even in her brief seed, they have a really good chemistry. But yeah, I mean, this movie is just chock full of just great character acting. It kind of is a perfect sort of movie, especially for the era it came out. This movie firmly exists in the 80s, you know, late, early 80s. or Yeah, it was early 80s, wasn't it? Well, yeah, it's 1981, but it feels also very, like, carried over from the late 70s as well. Like, yeah, especially right, exactly. Early on when we have a lot of the technology that's in there feels very sort of like late 70s. Also, shout out to someone who we haven't mentioned. I can't believe we have one of our favorites, Tom Atkins. Showing up as one of the subordinates. I was, gonna, I, was, I was literally about to break him up. And I love his little bit at the end, you know, when Snake is talking to the president and he fucking flicks his cigarette, walks away in disgust, and it just shows, you know, Raimi, Tom Atkins for a second. And you're like, yeah, he gets it. Like, just the look he gives, he's like, yeah, you're right. He, like, like, he's almost as embarrassed to be, like, an American citizen because of the president. Just like, I'm, I'm sorry. He's like the, the sensible people right now. Just like, I'm sorry. <laughs> look, yep. we got to deal with a lot of bullshit from this guy. Look, sorry, my bad. We can't bring our president anywhere. It's so awkward. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good, though. Like, it does. It works perfect. Like I said, I I get why this is your favorite Carpenter movie. It absolutely should be. And it's absolutely a perfect choice for uh, fictional presidents based on the fact that, like I said, the president, he's not really the main guy in it. You know, which I'd argue becomes a problem in other movies. Uh coming soon <laughs> coming soon to the theater near you <laughs> but uh it's it's just it's so well done and it gives so much weight to everything just the idea of even before you see him you know the president the president the president you're like oh shit this is serious and it, it you know and i love when he finds the tracker and it's on uh what's oh god george buck flowers another great character actor uh, who's, who's like the homeless man in every movie you've ever seen from this era uh, Thing you've ever seen. He's Hair the homeless. To achieve. <laughs> Everything. Uh, but it's just, it's so well done and so well executed. The timing on every beat in this movie is perfect. This movie never feels like it lags. It moves like clockwork in a really interesting way, but it never feels like that. It feels like you're definitely just following along Snake. It weirdly has almost the same kind of like story structure as something like even The Wizard of Oz in terms of like the mm-hmm. people he sees and collects up as sort of like his group. Um, and I like the fact that even Snake clearly doesn't have much loyalty to anybody, but at the very least, he respects these people he's with, and when they end up getting picked off one by one, you can see on his face how it hurts him and leads to that line you were talking about later on when he talks to the president. Like, I like the fact that Snake isn't just badass. You get subtle hints at the fact that he respects those that are actually loyal to him. Yeah, definitely. It just sucks that the sequel is so bad. And I, I really, I, I don't want 
you know, let, let's just let's just get it out in the open now that I know Lay Winnell was attached for a while. I, I think he still might be. And they were even talking about having Wyatt Russell play the Snake Plissken role in a, in a remake. Is what you're referring to? Yeah, don't, just don't. Well, this feels a lot to me like many movies that sort of like made by the right people at the right time. It feels a lot like a movie that's like lightning in a bottle, and you can't really duplicate that as we saw with Escape from L.A. Well, my thing is, and I think we've addressed this before, either on show or definitely in in private conversation, there's nothing wrong with the movie. So why remake something that already is good and already perfect? Like, I wouldn't mind, honestly, like if Escape from L.A. came first, you could remake that and make something cooler out of it. Well, even Escape from L.A., we talked about this when we talked about it, is a remake of this movie, basically. Oh, pretty much, except it's the president's daughter. That's the only difference. It duplicates a lot of the same beats, pretty much. Uh, Beat for beat, just it's in L.A. as opposed to New York. Another thing is the movie doesn't feel so sort of quote-unquote inside New York. Like, it has moments where it plays on the location. Like, I love the Broadway scene where you have those dudes (laughs) in the weird outfits and, like, abandoned theater um, singing their terrible song off-key. But it doesn't feel like it's a movie that's too winky about, like, oh, here's all the stuff about New York, all this other stuff. There's small things, like even, oh, we gotta turn left on Broadway, they argue about traffic and shit, even in the middle of this, like, post-apocalypse, it's like, what's wrong with Broadway? (laughs) Shit like that. There's subtle things that are in here, but it doesn't feel too overtly jokey. Like, even, like, the, the most jokey stuff you even get is stuff like, um, the Duke of New York limo set up with, like, the disco ball and, like, candle operas and shit that are on the side. <laughs> Stuff like that. It's more just, like, interesting set dressing that helps build up the world as opposed to, like, wink, look at this New York joke we did. Right, yeah, exactly. But it it's done in a way to make you, A, not forget it's New York, but maybe not pay attention to the fact that it kind of clearly isn't New York. Like, it's obviously not New York. Right. Uh, but by adding those little character beats and little character ticks and everything, it, it just sort of focuses your mind on the fact that, oh, yeah, we're in New York. Oh, shit, they're going across the bridge. Oh, take a left at Manhattan, you know, at Fifth Street or whatever the fuck. Like, it works perfect. It's Like I said, I can't praise this movie enough. I, I really can't. Now, even down to something we haven't talked about but I really love is the lighting the use of, like, the neon primary color gels and shit for all the lighting. Like, one street looks this, like, creepy, like, almost rigor mortis green. Then you go down another place and it's, like, a fiery red or even just, like, the steely blue colors and stuff like that. It feels like it's also kind of playing on New York more for, like, the reputation it had at the time when before another ghoul who's around right now, Rudy Giuliani, became mayor and turned it into, like, a big Disney advertisement for, like, Times Square and shit. How the, New York sort of had the reputation of being, like, a place kind of abandoned. Rudy Giuliani wears leather box shoes. You do not yell at him. No, I'm sorry. I should respect the star of Borat, too. You're right. I, I should. Absolutely should. Fucking guy. But no, <laughs> no like I said, I, I think this is just a, uh, this is one of the best movies I think that we've covered on the show, especially for sort of genre fare. That sounds like a pretty good lead up to a final thought, Adam. Any other final thoughts you have on Escape from New York? I think it is a breeze to get through. It's one of John Carpenter's best. It's super fun, super exciting, super just sort of inviting in a weird way. Like everything feels lived in. Everything feels accurate, even though it's this just crazy story in the future of 1997. But it all feels authentic. It, it's just, it's such a 
fucking just a great fun movie. Yeah, it's like I said before, Carpenter loved to work with, especially at this time, smaller budgets, but still managed to craft such great, interesting worlds to them. And it's not too dissimilar from even though Halloween cost significantly less than $6 million, how he really manages to build up sort of the situation and the terror, despite the fact that it doesn't feel that expensive. With like a lot of the major stuff, in particular, I love, we didn't talk about this, but the radar that they use for when Snake is driving that plane and it's clearly like models with the green tape on them but it looks just like primitive enough to be 1981 era <laughs> like radar tech and shit like that and also the contrast with like the way snake is lit inside that airplane i love the look of it's just a fucking close about kurt russell but it's got the green and red light that just works perfectly to really immerse you when you're in the middle of this situation where he's inside the small little plane and trying to make it go and all this other shit. It's my favorite Carpenter movie because it has so many of his tricks on display, but also I would argue it has the biggest scale and has the most sort of, like, interesting blend of genres that feels very unique in a way that a lot of other movies try to duplicate but could never quite equal. I do agree it's one of my favorites we've covered on the show, and it is personally still my favorite Carpenter movie, though there's a lot of, like, movies hedging toward that top. It's still, like, this is the one that feels sort of like this and the thing are so close, but I slightly prefer this one just for how unique it ultimately really feels. But, you know, a big part of this movie takes place on Air Force One, and that'll be very relevant to our next feature. But first, here's a promo for an ESO show you can queue up right after hours. Forgive the interruption. Hi, I'm Mike. Hi, I'm Tylan. Hi, I'm Eric. And we are Mighty Marvel Geeks. Mighty Marvel Geeks is your award-winning show about all things Marvel, with news, rumors, commentary, and interviews covering movies, comics, and all points in between. We'll also have our recommendations on what to pick up each week on New Comic Book Day, as well as a weekly pick from New Marvel Unlimited. Find us online at MightyMarvelGeeks.net. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your favorite podcast. That's Mighty Marvel Geeks. And remember, we are Groot. And now let's get into the Harrison Ford vehicle, Air Force One. Tonight I come to you with a pledge to change America's policy. Atrocity and terror are not political weapons. And to those who would use them, your day is over. They want General Raddock released from prison. I will execute the hostage every half an hour. Don't do anything to save my family. Don't ask me for something I can't give. This is my So Air Force One came out uh, July 25th, 1997. Um, from director Wolfgang Peterson, who we kind of referenced earlier, uh, has a very weird career. We've talked about this off mic where he did some German films early on, then he did, like, The NeverEnding Story, and In the Line of Fire, and um, Enemy Mine. Just, like, a bunch of weird things that eventually led to him doing this, and afterward making Troy, which is weirdly one of the most successful movies of all time, despite not having any cultural footprint, really. Um, and then Poseidon, which is one of the biggest bombs of all time. So, oh, yeah. weird career <laughs> for that, too. So... You've never seen this. Joe, no, I had not. But um, this was your choice, Adam. And I want to hear before I go into my thoughts. Why did you pick this one? Because I know of the ones that, like, when I was doing my research even for the good movies, this is one that tends to have some affection from a lot of people. I think because it was uh, pretty popular when it came out in 1997, making $315 million on an $85 million budget. Uh, but why are you not the biggest fan of it? Uh, well, I think I can sum it up in, in pretty quickly because it's fucking stupid. 
It's so fucking dumb and it lasts forever. And it's just filled with stupid decisions on top of just, oh my God, America's the greatest country in the world. Here's a bat where here comes the good guys. Cause you know, they're Russian and it's just, it's just, oh, I, I, I have no problem against patriotism. I absolutely support it. Be proud of where you're from. Stand up for your country, stand up for your beliefs, stand up for liberty and justice and all those things. Within reason. No, within reason. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Don't let that patriotism go into well, Jangoism. <laughs> Let's just say. Hey, no, 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 no. Don't walk around in Target with a fucking machine gun on your back just because you can. Assholes. But no, what I'm saying is, is it just hammer fisting it down your fucking throat. This, that's all this movie does to me. It, it's nonstop. And, and, and the things that they do do that people are excited about, like some of the action bits, I've seen a hundred times even before this movie. There's nothing really new or original in this movie. It's a hodgepodge of fucking bullshit just thrown together. It feels like a Tom Clancy movie mixed with Die Hard. It's like I've seen it. I mean, that's the big thing, is this is trying to be, oh, we're Die Hard on a plane, but that had been done at least three times before this. Like, Die Hard 2, obviously, Passenger 57, Executive Decision, technically, kind of did that too. Clear and present Air Force One. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the thing, honestly, like, before I even watched this movie, I always confused it with the two um, Jack Ryan, Harrison Ford movies. I just thought, like, oh, it's one of those, honestly, just because it kind of had that same aesthetic to it. And I barely remember even seeing those other two movies. Um, and then watching it finally for this show, because all I'd really known, honestly, was just Harrison Ford played the president, and he had the line, get off my plane, and he threw Gary Oldman off the plane. I'd seen that clip plenty of times. Um, and now watching it, uh, yeah, I agree. It's a really dumb action movie that I think the biggest problem with it for me is I don't know how in on the joke it's trying to be. I don't think it is. Well, that's the thing. Like, It feels like it's doing like a bunch of things that... I agree come off like very almost jangoistic in terms of what it's trying to portray about America. And I'm just watching it. It's like, I could conceive this being a joke, but I don't think this movie knows what the joke is. Like the biggest offender to me being that whole point where he has to cut the wire and there's like the green and yellow and then red, white, and blue. And uh. he has to think about like, don't fail me, red, white, and blue. And then he cuts the other ones, and it's like, oh, the red, white, and blue saved him, I guess. Yeah, yep, yep. Or, you know, nobody does this to America, all the people in the war room. And like, okay. I mean, this is, it's just, hey, I don't think they're in in on the joke at all. I think they're playing it deadly serious. They think this movie is fucking a smoke show of a movie. And it's just bad. It's just dumb. You know, the Gary Oldman, who I love, you know, I love Gary Oldman, and he is a capable villain and he is decent in this. Oh no, and to be fair, this movie, even like our last movie is stacked with great character actors and even like oh. Glenn Close is the fucking vice president. Um, you got mm-hmm. like William H. Macy, of course, Dean Stockwell, Sandra Berkeley, yep. like a lot yep. of people I really love. In, you know, other... Andrew Dibba, uh, Jurgen Prock now is sort of like the MacGuffin yep. for the movie is the guy they're trying to release from prison. Philip Baker Hall pops up like in the last 30 minutes. A throwback from fucking Leatherface is in this. Did you notice? With Text Chainsaw Massacre 3? Um, He's the guy that it's like, I am the Secretary of Defense and tries to stop Gary Ullman and he shoots him in the head. He's like, I just killed your Secretary of whatever. He's the guy from Leatherface who's like, fuck you, mister. The guy on the gas station. That's oh, That's yeah, the... yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, no. yeah, it's a deep cut. Deep cut. <laughs> the, the, the one, the big Leatherface fan still die hard. 
oh yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, they picked up on it. They're picking it up. But yeah, it's absolutely filled with just a crazy amount of character actors. I mean, from there's so many faces that I recognize in this movie. It's insane. But does not make for a good movie. I mean, I get it. It's Harrison Ford kicking ass and beating up terrorists and blah, blah, blah. And he's still on that fugitive high that he's been on since 93 at this point. High and the clear and present danger and whatever the other one was. I don't even remember. Patriot Games. Yeah, Patriot Games. Yeah. Yeah. He's still on that sort of at, refound action kick high. And I get it. And, you know, but the fact that he's the president to me, for some reason, it's just so stupid. It's so dumb. And like, he's this president who has this ultra conscience, like in his opening speech when they show him and uh, just stop. And he gets praised for just acknowledging like, well, uh, we made a boo-boo. We should have come here earlier. I'm so sorry. I went to a tournament camp and it made my tummy hurt. <laughs> Basically. Basically. And then, every, and then everyone is so overly praising him, where it's just like, oh, it looks like we confirmed re-election, and all this other stuff. It's just like, oh, everybody's like so on it. And then later on, his chemistry with his family, it all feels so insincere, where it's just like, I thought you'd be my little girl for at least another three years, or some bullshit. It's just, it's so, like, it's like, it's like you're talking about, it, it doesn't, like, so many of these steps feel like they should be parody. But it isn't really treated as parody. It's just treated as like, here's you getting invested. It's like it feels almost as if it follows like the most basic tenets, like the save the cat skeletal structure, as well. <laughs> where it's just like, oh, in this case, save the cat is, oh, I'm sorry, we fucked up and didn't help out with the internment camps and all this bullshit. That's his save the cat to show that he's awesome. <laughs> show that he's a good dude, you know. And I love it at the end, Mr. President. Or shoot, I'm not going to tell my family. They're all like, all right. Horseshit, they'd fucking... <laughs> it's so stupid. Why Why is William H. Macy even in this? He has nothing to do in this movie. Like, at all. He should have just been one of the pilots. It feels supremely paycheck-y for, like, all the actors that are really involved. Because um, it's a really generic, as we mentioned, it's playing off of, like, the decade of Die Hard in a blank. And it's just, like, it's putting hats on hats, too, where it's like, it's Die Hard, but it's on a plane... And John McClane's the president. It's it's a hat in the hat thing too. Just like, Whoa! <laughs> you know, so stupid. After Gary Oldman dies, dude, we still got another thirty fucking. Oh minutes. my god! I had that same feeling. We're just like, oh, this is where the movie ends, right? Like I know. Nope. Xander Berkeley is he there? Oh, he's got to do it. Oh, he's double crossing. Wait a minute. It's ten more minutes. Xander Berkeley has a double cross yet. Xander Berkeley's still there. Okay. Wait a minute. Oh, it's uh, they should they showed him be the double crosser way too early right i completely agree it's constructed almost like it's a twist when that happens like no i remember like 45 minutes ago when you showed him shoot people <laughs> like i remember that yeah yeah you're right exactly i remember when he shot the other three circuit service guys yeah i remember like they shouldn't have done that would it have made that much of a difference no because the padding on it is so bad i mean i would argue that would have played something if you actually played into the mystery of like who could it be and you gave the other people like william h macy and all the other cabinet members that are inside the fucking air force one some kind of mis mistrust you give the wife and the daughter of the president something to do instead of just being fucking props and plus by the way it's Xander berkeley there's no question it was him like, even if they didn't show him do it, you're like, yeah, it's Andrew Berkeley. Why would it be him? Why, why is that guy in this? Oh, because he's the bad guy. Well, it's, like, the thing is, it's one of those things where it's either the character actor who usually plays villains, or it would be the biggest, like, 
person who was a star at that like, point who would like William H Macy, right? It would have been those two, but you could have played at least right. into like could it be either of them or whatever. But they don't even do that because all like the hostage scenes just play out in a really elongated. That's actually a really cool idea that you just said. Like, could it? Which one could it be? Especially because he gives each of them a gun. Right. So it could have been really cool. Like, oh fuck, it might have been him, or it could have been him. Like they could have done something. But like I said, you spend twenty to thirty minutes. Like, when is he going to fucking show his colors? And then at the very end, he kills everybody but the president. And we're trying to say, no, you go, sir. It's time you got off this plane. Like, okay. Oh, fuck. And then, like, uh, the, the, the fucking fighter jet flying in front of the missile. Like, I know he just screams, but I swear to God, he's going, America! Like, it's so stupid. Well, and that's just, that's just another thing, honestly, like, that I was thinking this whole time, just watching it from a 2020 perspective, is it feels so Jangoistic in a way that it feels like it wasn't obviously intentionally doing this, but it feels like it kind of feeds into sort of like a cultural osmosis thing that kept going that kind of leads to somebody, like a pop culture figure, becoming a president. What are you talking about? Ronald Reagan, the actor. Oh. <laughs> but, like, even literally during his campaign in 2016, Trump mentioned Air Force One as saying, like, like it stood for everything America should stand up for <laughs> at that point. That, that's literally something that he fucking said, and he became president. Uh, yeah, well, there you go. That's why this movie is still loved as much as it is, too, for some reason. I mean, this movie has a lot of love. And I get it, dude. I mean, I, I do, I get it. I get being, you know, 1997, either in your late 40s, early 50s, or a younger kid seeing this, be like, this movie's fucking awesome. Well, and also, it was played a lot on television. Like, what I know of this movie is mostly from watching clips as I pass through TNT, or whatever the fuck this would show on. This was a cable staple for a while. TNT and TBS did nothing but show this fucking movie. And, like, even, we talked about the action... I agree that the action isn't that interesting because it's a lot of just like, oh, we're in tight corners and we're like shooting off in different corners of a plane. A plane isn't an interesting place to have a lot of action scenes. It's kind of like why I don't like Die Hard 2 that much. Like the, the And why the movie doesn't even take place mostly in the plane. They mostly go into the airport. <laughs> to me, that's why Die Hard 2 is successful because the plane scene is only the very end. It's on the wing of the fucking plane. They're mm-hmm. not inside the plane having the gun sh- gunfight. Like, it's boring i could see have the movie end there like die hard 2 but the whole fucking movie then the thing is if it was even done well to where they're hugging corners and shooting and even a lot of like close quarters combat type shit would be cool they don't even do that it's just run from this room to this room run from this room to this room this room to this room it's so boring and bland by the time you get to the scene where Gary Oldman's got his wife and he's going after her, like, you already saw this scene in this baggage location for an hour. Right. An hour you just spent down in this room with the same shit going on. Pop it off of the corner, shoot. Pop out the corner, shoot. It's so stale and boring. And then all the stuff we get that's not inside the plane is in a boardroom where, like, Glenn yep. Close is arguing with everybody about, like, we need to do this with the president <laughs> and all this other bullshit. I had a secretary of state or whatever sign this list. We need you to sign it to take over presidency because clearly he's acting as a father, not as a president. I can't do it. You will do it. Okay, here's 30 seconds of her thinking about it with the pen at the paper. Dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, God. You know, Al from fucking Quantum Leap really should have just left. <laughs> like, get out of there. Like, this is just so stupid. Go back to Scott Bakula. He's missing you. Scott Bakula would be like, maybe he'd be president at this point. Maybe he is. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> we, 
Harrison, but it's actually Sam. Well, that's a good a point is I need to talk a bit more about Harrison Ford, sort of like, especially being our fictional president for this. This feels to me kind of like, it's probably not the earliest one, but this feels like the cementation for me of um, craggy old man Harrison Ford. Finger pointing Ford. Well, I mean, he was doing that long before. That's like Han Solo era shit. Just more of like the craggy attitude. And this is like the middle ground between Charles Bronson, old man action hero, and then later Liam Neeson, old man action hero. In terms of just like, oh, I'm a president whose average age would be 55, uh, but I can still shoot him up. And, you know, I'm a former Vietnam vet. Interesting that Trump likes this movie so much because he doesn't have bone spurs, from what I can tell. With, with this particular portrayal, it feels so much like Harrison Ford at the end of kind of that action superstar part. Right. And really beginning to feel like old man Ford in a way that feels not nearly as engaging as I think the movie wants it to be. <laughs> No, I, I absolutely agree with you and, and, and to the point where even like this feels like the Harrison Ford that we are now stuck with from here, this point on. Like, I think he has not shifted from this sort of character acting and this sort of performance since. The only thing I think of is it, like Force Awakens, say what you will about it. I thought he was surprisingly decent as a return for Han Solo because I expected it to be way worse and, and even then he's still playing on that craggy old man harrison ford yeah no he is but he's leaning into it in a much more interesting way as opposed to this movie he's confident president who's gonna make sure you get off his plane yeah this to indian jones and uh kingdom of the crystal skull no difference i mean the performances from this to that have basically been the same and everything hey are you the president part-time yep part-time <laughs> like you said uh, liam neeson from taken to everything he's done since it's the same fucking performance. And it's not a good performance. No. It's not good. And of course, he was a helicopter pilot in Vietnam, because of course, here's it Ford. Like, tell him I flew helicopters, because that's what I do. <laughs> and, and of course, they have the one guy um, who's another great character actor, J.A. Peterson, talk about, he was a Vietnam vet. This president knows how to fight. We got any hope. It's him being up there. Oh, Really? Because he's the president. Like, wait, he fought in Vietnam, and it's 1997, so it's been like 35 years. Honestly, like, the thing is, a lot of people dog on this other movie that came out several years later, but I honestly say the better version of this movie is White House Down, on every level. Which I still have not seen. I think White House Down is the more fun, tongue-in-cheek movie that knows this premise is stupid, but it really, like, plays into the silliness of the situation and goes full hog, versus this movie doesn't quite know it wants to be too silly or too much of, like, I know this is a no-nonsense action thriller where we're gonna really get your ass into high gear. And it, it tries to also deal more overtly with, like, policy and bullshit like that. Like, even, like, Gary Oldman having his whole thing about, like, people consider me a bad man, but I killed because I know that makes me believe in what my beliefs are the more it's like whatever this Would you kill a thousand iraqis with a smart bomb don't preach to me about war you're like okay all right see now on the flip side i would take also a, a better version like an action version of this olympus has fallen mm -hmm. i think a more fun movie that it's so tongue-in-cheek and we're just a straight-up balls-to-the-wall action movie it's overtly violent overtly gory like they know what they're going for this movie like you said is it a political thriller is it an action movie is it a fucking po a patriotic film no it's all of that mixed in and it's just a torture right up to the, the amazing amazing plane crash that happens that's i've ever seen that's i've ever seen <laughs> 
with the most badly CG'd work, even for the time, that looked terrible, right? I mean, it had to, right? It had to. I don't remember, honestly, because I hated it so much. But, like, if you compare it to other 1997-era movies that use CG, it's not, like, most of them aren't this bad. Well, yeah, other 1997 movies that use CG use it a little bit more sparingly, for the most part. Not like, let's do a full-fledged plane crash, let's put little Xander Berkeley in the tour, <laughs> and just go for it. Well, because honestly, the effects before that, even within this movie, are fine. The missile shot and all this other stuff, it looks fine for what it is. Yeah, it works. It looks no better or no worse than any other movie of this era with that sort of idea behind it. Except when we get to that stupid ending. <laughs> oh, it's so bad. It's so fucking stupid. And he's like, yeah, blah, 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 and I'll defend the next president, too. How? How are you going to explain what just happened? Well, his idea was, I'm going to kill the president. I'm going to kill this general or major, which is William H. Macy. I'm also going to kill the guy who's part of this crew that's rescuing us. Then I'm going to get on the line and be like, somebody shot them all. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? It's so stupid. One of the, one of the henchmen came back. It was like the end of Die Hard. You've seen Die Hard, right? Some big blonde dude came and shot everybody, and then I shot him because I'm awesome. Make me president. Yep, I'm here now. I get the medal. Like it doesn't make any sense. The whole the whole Secret Service Xander Berkeley's sort of motivation. What is it? That's the other thing too. They don't explain anything. Why he double crossed the president? What the point of it was? What his backstory is? None of it. Like, did they just pay him to do this? Or is he secretly a Russian defector? Like, what? None of it. They give you no reason. No. It, it, he feels just like a, another element, because one thing we have to have the fourth act we're talking about. Or really, oh. if this had just ended after Gary Oldman, like, flew off, and then, like, the president lands the plane and everything's like, fine, I would not like it much more, but it would at least not be as offensive to me as I think it becomes... It would fit along with the pantheon in the movies you already mentioned, like Executive Decision and Passenger 57 and all that. It fit right in there. You'd be like, yeah, it's an action movie from the 90s. Like, it's fine. But the fact that it goes egregiously long after your payoff, he kills the main bad guy, got that great hook line, you know, get off my plane and, and all that shit. Like, it, it's a great action beat, great hook. Got it. I think that is the scene that makes everyone remember this movie is just the get off yep. my plane bit because that feels the most... Like, okay, I think this is where you're hitting your zenith of being, like, a fun 90s action movie. I agree. And it's a cool death. It's exciting. Gary Oldman is perfectly, you know, anti-America despicable for this type of movie. And the way his neck snaps after, like, he fucking flies yeah, off and shit. He's just like, totally cool. yeah. End it. End it. No, then we get fighter jets. Then we get them trying to talk to them down and how to land. Then we get the flares. Then we get Xander Berkeley. Then we get the line thing. With it. I mean, dude, Jesus Christ. What the fuck? do you expect out of your audience apparently the audience went for it too because this movie made a shitload of money yeah and i just don't understand i think it is so overblown long-winded and just pretentious in in almost every way it's it, it, it treats the audience like you're dumb you like bang bang action here you go Th those sound like pretty good final thoughts unless you have anything to add <laughs> i the only thing i think of if if Anybody who doesn't live in America, when they saw this movie, they were probably like, what? This is the ego on these fuckers? And, yep, you'd be 100% right. That is the ego. Yeah, I think that's the thing. It feels like um, a, a pretty dull, die-hard ripoff, for sure. Like, I get, based on certain sequences, why maybe people remembered it 
from to some extent and also it played so much on cable that you kind of have growing nostalgic attachment to it sure but you know just coming from a completely fresh perspective on that um it's a lesser harrison ford vehicle it's a lesser turn for all the actors in here who are really going for paychecks all the other great people i mean this is gary oldman fully embracing getting a check like not that long after this is lost in space and bullshit like that. Same energy, honestly, from either performance, <laughs> I would say. It just feels like, you know, on that basic level, it's a much lesser diehard ripoff that doesn't know what it quite wants to be. And then on a macro level of looking at it from a 2020 perspective, like I said, it feels like it kind of feeds into a Jangoistic machine that brings out, quite frankly, some of the worser parts of America in a lot of ways. It feels like it's feeding into the weird machismo action kind of thing where it's like, even our prisons have to be badass motherfuckers who'll do anything and be the actual ones to stump in the middle of the line for, like, our country, like, force. It just feels like it's so toxic, not in a way they probably intended at the time, but even on the level of, like, well, is it a fun action movie? It also doesn't have that either, so it feels kind of just a waste of my time. I agree. By the way, how many times do you have say the words air force one in this fucking movie oh my god good god all, all those memes right now where it's just like they say the title in the movie it's like you don't have to make up a thing you could pick 15 right, different because scenes. of the terminator 2 judgment day like you get it <laughs> like but dude, they say it so much well it's just that, once again it feeds into that thing you're talking about with the audience being dumb just like which plane are they on are they on uh the, which one is this a delta flight <laughs> Oh, the president's plane. Oh, oh that's what. Oh, oh, that's right. Oh, is it Air Force Two? Oh no, Air Force One. Eh? Oh, that's when the president lives in the sky. <laughs> don't you? Don't you know? <laughs> sorry, Minnesota. I don't know why we went to you. But, sorry, Fargo. So, sorry. Well, William H Macy. Maybe that's why. It's there all so blame the Cohen brothers. But anyway. Uh, now it's time to get to the exit of the show, um, where we'll be doing our picking for next week in just a bit. Uh, but first, we have to read some feedback from all of you, because at DEDBpod on Facebook and Twitter, we ask you all about, like, hey, what are your favorite, least favorite things related to whatever topic we do? And in this case, we asked you about the fictional presidents out there in cinema. So uh, we're going to start off first with James Rodriguez, friend of the show, said, uh, best Jamie Foxx White House down. More good presidents uh, should wield weaponry on film. Just don't touch his Jordans. Uh, Bill Pullman, Independence Day, an obvious choice, but come on, that speech. Uh, Leslie Nielsen in Scary Movie 3 and 4. Those movies are dreck, but Leslie Nielsen isn't. Uh, worst, uh, Bruce Greenwood in Kingsman, The Golden Circle. Uh, drugs are bad, so everybody involved must die. Sure, Jan. And then Kevin James in Pixels, need I say more? Um, Nicholas Dadinsky says, uh, Terry Crews as Dwayne Alonzo Mountain Dew Herbert Camacho in Idiocracy. Um, Oliver Sloan says James Earl Jones in The Man from 1972 uh, from a book by Irving Wallace and screenplay by Rod Serling, directed by Joseph Sargent of Taking Palm 1, 2, 3 and Jaws the Revenge fame. Um, and then Joel Copeland at Real Joel Copeland on Twitter says uh, the best is Andrew Shepard, Michael Douglas from The American President, and the worst is the unnamed president, Joseph Summer in X-Men The Last Stand, which is a movie I actually like otherwise. And then Casey Girard our lovable Casey at the underscore Casey on Twitter says, shout out to you guys for having an episode about presidents, which leads me to realize that movie presidents are such a blind spot that I wanted to look up more for what options are outside of action movies. Okay. So I love that he brought up X-Men the last stand. That is exactly the president I was referencing earlier with that. We need to rest a Magneto. I just know. That's like the typical example that we get in a lot of these movies. Yeah. A hundred and ten percent. And then I fucking hate 
that's Bill Pullman's speech. I hate it. I think it's so corny and not delivered well. I think it's so stupid. It has shades of the Mel Gibson freedom speech and fucking high-pitched ass Viggo Mortensen in, in uh, fucking the third Lord of the Rings movie. It will not be this day. And you're like, you're supposed to get behind this shit. Like, it's just, no, nah, not for me. Not for me, dog. That's going to be a no for me, Doc. We both talked about, with Independence Day, like, neither of us being necessarily a fan. And I do agree that I think, especially the second half, that movie gets really dull. But I would say at least Pullman's delivery of that speech works for me. Um, I don't think it's a well-written speech, necessarily. But I think he's putting as much gusto as he can into a speech that dumb. Uh, But at the same time, I think it also kind of has a lot of the symptoms that I think plague in Air Force One, in terms of sort of that Jangoism that we've been kind of referencing. I think, like, a Jamie Foxx, I would say, is at least one that works, because it le- at least feels like that president isn't representing America as a total, as opposed to actually being his own character, even though, obviously, he, given it's uh, Obama era, it's clearly kind of evoke a lot of that pride. Um, but at the same time, I think it works. It's just, like, on his fun own character, like the Jordans thing. Just, like, get your hands off my Jordans, and he kicks people with his Jordans. Like, that feels like it's much more tongue-in-cheek than anything in, like, an Air Force One. Yeah, I still haven't watched that one. I, I need to. I own it. I just never got around to watching it. Also, The American Prison was all, almost my choice. And I really dig it's that good movie. movie. I think it's, especially, it's a, it's a cute romantic comedy premise based around something for like that's never happened in the history of the United States in terms of, oh, what if the president's first lady died and he wants to like date somebody? That's a cute idea right. that you never would have figured. And the chemistry between the cabinet also with, like, Michael J. Fox and a few others also feels very prescient to, like, because it's Aaron Sorkin writing it, not a couple years later we get the West Wing. And this feels like the lighter version of what we get later in that series. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And Aaron Sorkin, I mean, Christ, can that guy write? Fucking hell. But yeah, I really, really enjoy that. I, I think Michael Douglas is really good as a president. Not in real life, but in the, <laughs> in the film. His portrayal of a president. No, he, he works, he has that dignified sort of stance, and also it's a cute, like, chemistry with him and Annette Benning. it's adorable. But, you know, some ones that weren't mentioned that I'd like to spotlight here, uh, a few we have mentioned before in previous things, um, one, Jack Nicholson and Mars Attacks, one of my favorites. Yes, absolutely. In terms so, of, once again, being satirical in particular, he's so fucking good in that movie. And also Glenn Close again. And weirdly, like, that movie feels like such an interesting parody of Independence Day, despite coming out, like, the same summer. Like, even his speech that he gives later on, Feels like a parody of the Bill Pullman speech, which is like, can't we all just get along? Immediately followed by his death. It's so good. I know. It's um, great. Another one, which I know you have a lot of affection for, for sure, would be uh, Lloyd Bridges and Hot Shots Part 2. Oh my god. Dude, I don't want to get into a quote thing, but yes. <laughs> which I love, like, it feels, because in the first movie he plays, like, the, what, Top Gun School, right, for the, Air Force Yeah, yeah, pilots. yeah, yeah. Yep. Right, yeah, I love the fact that he ascends to the presidency. It feels like such yeah, a genius idea as like a satirical take, and also just the even like his introduction scene on I believe it's their version of Air Force One. And he's got the globe. Yep. <laughs> he's just pointing to random yep. stupid locations. Very funny. Ah, uh, yes, Sheila and I want to thank you for having us over for dinner last night. It was a lovely casserole, uh, sir. You didn't have dinner with us last night. No, where the hell was I? But who the hell is this Sheila? <laughs> <laughs> really good really good speaking to even so the comedic ones two that we've mentioned a lot I just want to briefly mention uh, Peter Sellers and Doctor Strange of who we talked about in our Stanley Kubrick episode oh. earlier this year but tremendous as a Merkin oh, Buffley so good 
Um, and even <laughs> technically not quite president of America, but just kind of fits a satiric take of presidents as well. President Scroob in Spaceballs. Oh, oh yeah, of course. I can't make decisions like this. I'm a president. <laughs> <laughs> when he gets on the teleporter. Why did no one tell me my ass is this big? <laughs> so, so funny. And you know what? One that is even in the middle of like a sort of science fiction sort of movie, but I really think is underrated and is like one of my favorite fictional mm. presents in the movie is E.G. Marshall and Superman 2. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That whole scene between him and Zod where he has to like, I'm, I'm only doing this for the American people. It's just like, oh, this is perfect. This is so good. And him against Zod is so good. <laughs> and Zod, well, I think Terrence Stamp kind of. Yeah. Well, he, no, he, that's not slouch on E.G. Marshall, another great character actor we love. I, yeah, that's true. Ironic, you worship things that fly. Yes. <laughs> Why do you say these things to me when you know I will kill you for it? <laughs> like, yeah. Yes, dude. Fuck yeah. No, uh, yeah, for sure. And I also want to throw back to uh, uh, James's comment about Bruce Greenwood and Kingsman 2. I, I mean, the thing is, that's such a hyper-stylized sort of film. And I think it's poking fun at the American presidency where mm-hmm. he's like, you know, drugs are bad. Okay. Like that's the point. It's just a weird problem. That movie is so stacked with different characters as well. That it feels like it's just over stuff mm-hmm. with shit. Like we didn't really need like that version. Yeah. Of the president necessarily. Yeah. But I think he's fine. And I, I mean, I like Bruce Greenwood a lot. So yeah, he would fit as like sort of a presidential type. Um, are there any other ones that you would maybe want to shout out? I got a couple, nothing crazy. I mean, you kind of said most of the ones I, I was thinking of, but uh, I like Jeff Bridges in The Contender quite a bit. I don't know if you've ever seen that. No. It, it's it's pretty good. It's not a great movie, but, you know, Jeff Bridges is really good. Uh, Hayes Burton, 24, you know, which I was not a crazy fan of the show, but he, he was really, really good in it. I mean, he fits perfectly the Allstate stands for America. Yeah, right, All- Allstate does stand. And then the only one I I, I, uh, I had written down that you didn't already mention was uh, Henry Fonda and Failsafe. Oh, wow. Yeah, I wouldn't have expected that. He's, he's so good in that movie. You you at least managed to mention a lot more sort of like actual, like sincere attempts at the presidency, whereas most of mine were clowns, quite frankly. <laughs> right. You know, I had all the clowns written down too. But, uh, you know, but there's some out there. Like, you know, even though I wasn't a fan of the movie, but I really like him. Uh, you know, Vantage Point. Uh, William Hurt. Hurt. William Hurt to me looks like he could be president. Like nowadays, William Hurt. That, I don't really have much more than that were mentioned. You know, there's some really bad ones like Charlie Sheen and Machete Kills. Yeah, that was what I would have mentioned as a bad Chris one. Chris Rock, sure. Head of the State, and shit like that. You're like, this is stupid. Um, you know, a good one that I would like to mention, just because this movie, I think, is very underrated that came out last year, um, even though it's mostly about the one character be- trying to become president, um, the incumbent president um, in Longshot, the Charlie Theron Seth Rogen movie, is Bob Odenkirk. And I feel like it's one of the few solid okay. satirical attempts at, like, uh, Donald Trump president, because he's a guy who has become president after playing a president on TV. And he comes and just like, you know, I would run again, but I kind of want to break into film. So I'm not running. (laughs) Which creates the power vacuum. And that that movie in general, that's another great example of sort of like a romantic comedy meshed up with a political satire. That really works in my opinion. Very underrated movie. Long shot. I'll have to check that one out. I kind of shied away from it. 
but thank you for all that feedback, people out there. Once again, at DEDBpod on Facebook and Twitter, where we'll share, usually on Mondays, the request for feedback. We also want to thank some other people, like Chris Oliver for the intro and after music used in our show. Listen more of the, his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Um, and thanks to Emily Scarter for the art for our show. And thanks, of course, to our loyal Patreon supporters, where for just $1 a month over at patreon.com slash DEDBpod, um, you can, you know, vote in polls where we, you can select, you know, what topics we do and what, or what individual movies we cover. And also we have bonus podcasts that we release every month. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a, we appreciate uh, all that goes to give, making the show a better one for you, the people. Yes. And although also Patreons, if if you have any feedback or maybe new Patreon listeners, if you have any feedback about our shining commentary, please let us know. Yes, that's up right now. That's uh, the current bonus episode that's out. And uh, stay tuned for our holidays top ten that we'll be doing at the end of this month. Um, and like I said before, find us Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod for socials. You can email us, feedback, double-edged, double-bill, at gmail.com, all spelled out. Um, and you can find me specifically on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd as at NotTheWho'sTommy post musings and stuff about movies and other things and you can also find me doing some writing at my blog marianitomas.wordpress.com in fact i would have just put out a review of a new movie called the wolf of snow hollow which is a movie uh, starring robert forrester his last movie and is sort of a horror comedy but not in the ways you traditionally expect and uh, it's one that i think is going to go underseen this year but uh, my review might say uh check it out you can read that once again marianitomas.wordpress.com Look at that. I am also on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I am at Adam or Adam. Uh, that's A-T-O-M underscore or underscore A-D-A-M. Instagram is uh, if you want to see some silly pictures, especially for Halloween, a lot of makeup and stuff. And Twitter, I'm always around. I also do a lot of sharing for the show. And I would hope that you would all do the same. And he's a retweet whore. He'll do it no matter what. That's yeah, all, oh, dude. I'll retweet the fuck out of anything you want me to retweet i will retweet it i just hope you retweet some of my stuff it's it's a, it's an eye for an eye kind of thing yeah 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 for sure um and if you want more of our great content here you can subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher and other podcasting platforms and if you're listening on the eso network why not listen to some of the other great shows here like the one we play a promo for in the middle of this and you can also dig into our archives on our Podbean feed for um, all of the episodes even before we join the ESO network. And if nothing else, if you can't support us on Patreon or some of these other things, if you could just rate, review, or share the show around, that helps us out, that gets us more visibility. That helps us spread out to the other people in this great nation of ours, the internet. Yes, please, please, for a price of a cup of coffee a day. That's, well, that's what we want. Yeah, just throw it out there for us, you know? Easy, easy breezy. You like the show? Throw it out. Maybe some other people will like it. And also, if you hate it, let us know why. And so now we're going to do our picking, and we should probably give full disclosure, Adam. Uh, we recorded the episode fully, and uh, had a completely different topic we did picking for. But shortly after we recorded, uh, we got some uh, pretty upsetting news about uh, the passing of a legend. Yeah, literally the very next day, I woke up to alerts that... Uh... One Sir Sean Connery passed away at the age of 90. Yes, it's also really spooky because when No Time to Die was rescheduled, we had that slotted here for the James Bond episode. I know. It's what really eerie. I know, yeah. Uh, but, yes, Sean Connery passed away at the ripe old age of 90. And he obviously had a very storied career. 
And uh, we decided, like, you know, when somebody passes, we tend to, like, pay tribute to them by doing an episode all about their career. And what a career to do an episode on, Adam. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's so varied, and there's so many sort of just oddball choices that he made, and all the way up until, like, his last feature. The the really bad Scottish animated movie? Yeah, 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 whatever the hell that is. Uh, But, no, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen was uh, his final, at least, live-action film. But that's still a solid, like, from the... 40s or 50s through to like 2003 that's a long career and uh, we're going to talk about it here we should emphasize though for our picking because you have two good picks for uh-huh. mr connery i have two bad picks and uh, we've assigned numbers between one and ten for each of those uh we decided to recuse bond from the table because whenever no time to die eventually comes out we do plan on doing just a full-on james bond series episode so we decided just to kind of table his bond films from this though there's still plenty to pick from Oh, absolutely. And I, I think it also, by doing that, it, it offers up maybe more of a chance for for people who are listeners or even ourselves to discover movies that maybe we haven't seen or have only seen once or so on and so forth. Right. The less famous, uh, mm-hmm. p- perhaps. Uh, but for your two good choices, I'm going to pick number 007. Uh, I see what you did there. Uh, I'm well at number eight. I have now. This is a movie I don't know if I've ever seen. My dad loved it when I was a kid. He would always talk about it. But I have Outland. It's sort of a sci-fi. Sean Connery's a cop on the moon sort of idea. Oh, I've never heard of this. That's interesting. Okay. And then what was your alternative choice, Adam? Uh, the alternative choice at number one was In the Name of the Rose, which I also don't know if I've ever seen, but I know it got pretty good critical sort of reception. Right, I'm aware of that one. But now, for my two bad ones. Oh, God. I, I bet I know what one of them is. Um, uh, we'll go with number one. Okay. At number two, I have a movie I've heard many, many things about, but I've never seen. Um, sort of a classic of weird movie cinema. Um, I have Zardoz. I knew it. And how <laughs> funny that we're doing two sort of sci-fi fantasy movies for Sean Connery. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, we co- we covered Highlander before. It's only fitting. That's true, and that would have also been in my good choices if we had covered it before. Right. But um, uh, excellent. All right. Well, uh, I've seen Zardoz. It's something. <laughs> and then at number nine, I had probably the most obvious pick of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm glad we didn't get that one though, because woof. Yeah, I remember seeing that in the theater. As a kid, and even thinking, no, this ain't good. This ain't it, Chief. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember liking certain parts of it, like the costume design and some of the other stuff, but for the most part, yeah, wolf. Okay, all right, but that'll be interesting, those two movies. Um, so, until next time, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we should just emphasize, you know, given this president episode, please vote. If you haven't, please be in line voting, hopefully, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out. And don't Shut leave. Up. Don't leave. Uh, um, if you've been in line for several hours, they can't let you leave until you vote. Yeah, just vote. Just get it done. Yes, do your solemn duty. And with that, we say good evening. Goodbye.
This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.